Now, maybe somebody can listen to this story that I'm telling, though, and they can not do what I did bad and do what I did good and have an even better life and an even better success story. I think that's the hope. goal was 300,000. They only had five days left. They needed to raise 120,000 more. Possible, right? Well, my business partner didn't think so. He took the risk and raised them $120,000 in less than 100 hours. So we scaled and capitalized on those success stories and here we are today, nearly three and a half years later. My name is Zach Smith. I am the acting CEO and co-founder of Funded Today, F-U-N-D-E-D. It's not Fund It. We get that sometimes, Fund It Today. We probably should just buy that domain name. And I am from uh, Utah myself. I'm about 30 minutes north of Salt Lake City. And my co-founder, Thomas Alvord, lives in Cedar Hills, which is about uh, 50 minutes the other way, just south of Salt Lake City. And uh, how old are you? I just turned 30. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your company and what you do? So Funded Today is the world's largest and most successful rewards-based crowdfunding agency. What that means is we raise money for new inventors and entrepreneurs and sometimes even existing businesses or their ideas on sites like Kickstarter and Indiegogo. People will come to us with an idea for a new wallet or a new watch or a new gadget or gizmo, or sometimes it's something different. And our job is to raise money for it in any way possible. And so how much have you raised up to today? So on our website, there's actually a pretty cool tab that kind of keeps everything up to date mm -hmm. on funded.today or fundedtoday.com. And as of right now, $148,533,566. Wow. And like through how many campaigns have you raised the money for? With people or clients? That's only counting the campaigns that we raised money successfully for. So technically, we've raised even more than that. But mm -hmm. if a campaign doesn't pass through what we call due diligence and product validation, we don't add it to that total. But I would venture to say we're closing in on 500. And so could you give us a little bit more detail on exactly what someone would come to you, like how they find out about you and what you exactly do for them? Originally, people came to fund it today because they needed to raise money, They but they were stuck. So they'd be on Kickstarter or Indiegogo and they'd have a goal of like $100,000 and they've raised 10000 And they'd say, I've raised $10,000. And crowdfunding platforms for the most part are all or nothing funding, meaning if you don't raise all the $100,000 that your goal is set for, you don't get any of it. If you raise $10,000 and you have 20 days left, you need to raise $90,000 more to collect on that 10000 Otherwise, your campaign is failed to fund and it, you cancel the funding or you just don't get any of the money. And so they hired us so that we could get them to that $100,000 and beyond mark. And we would come on and we would raise money for them. And they would usually hire us to be like the heroes or the save the day type of people. But now we do everything. We work from the very beginning. We call it pre-launch. So some people might hire us four or five months before they even launch or sometimes even nine, 10 months in advance. And we build out their page. We design their video, do all of their email lead generation, their pre-marketing efforts. And then we launch and we're with them throughout the duration of the campaign. Other people still hire us with five, six days left, sometimes 20 days left. Sometimes they're stuck. Sometimes they want to know if they have a good idea or not. And they hire us to prove that. And we call that product validation and due diligence. So we're kind of a mix of every single stage at this point in time. Well, let's go ahead and talk, I guess, in the beginning, like how you were able to figure out this could be a company. Yeah. So it was kind of a unique story. I was a consultant for e-commerce and digital-based businesses, and I got my degree in accounting from Weber State University. And I kind of learned about charging hourly, charging on retainer. And so I didn't ever actually practice accounting, although I 
I've done it for my own businesses and kind of learned all the different bookkeeping and things. But the hourly retainer model, like attorneys and accountants charge, I applied that to my e-commerce consulting business and it was pretty successful. But I had a client come to me after a couple of years of doing that and say, I can't afford your hourly rate and I don't want to pay your retainer. Have you heard of this thing called crowdfunding? And at the time, truth be told, I had never heard of it. Never knew what crowdfunding was or Kickstarter Indiegogo. And I think that's the case with most people, even today, as crazy and successful as it is, don't know what crowdfunding is. They'll say, oh, I saw this really cool project, but they don't even know how they saw it. And chances are they probably saw it on the crowdfunding platform. But anyway, I was the same way as all those people. But I said, this looks interesting. Let's give it a shot. I did some research. This particular product was a type of magnetic running wallet, snaps to your waistband and holds your keys, credit card and different accessories while you run. And it was a cool idea. They didn't have any money. They just basically had a prototype sketched on a napkin. And we designed the video, designed the page, and we launched it after a couple months of prep. And it raised $115,000, which was amazing. This company hadn't raised any money on the internet. They, they didn't even have a website at the time. Suddenly, a lot of people were like, oh, wow, this is a really cool thing that you guys just did. How did this mom and pop business out of South Ogden, Utah, just raise 115 grand in 35 days? And we started getting contacted a ton. But I was a consultant. I, I didn't even have a crowd. Funded Today didn't even exist. It was under a different company that I owned, a holding group that I ran all this stuff through. So they would contact the creators of this Rue Sport and the creators would then say, oh, I hired Zach Smith. He has this thing he does. And so they'd come to me and I said, oh, I don't really do that. That was just a one-time thing for this person. In hindsight, I wish I would have been a little bit more aggressive and just said, oh yeah, we do this because we were getting contacted a lot. But we were pretty selective in the beginning. And ultimately a campaign came to us with that all or nothing funding that I was talking about. They'd raised $180,000 roughly. Their goal was 300000 they only had five days left. They needed to raise 120000 more. Impossible, right? Well, my business partner, Thomas Albert, didn't think so. And he fronted a ton of money, did some testing. And in 24 hours, he figured out that he'd be able to get this thing funded. I said, I'm out. Give me a consulting fee. Thomas, you rock it. Because it was my it was my business at the time. And Thomas said, okay. He took the risk. And sure enough, he raised him $120,000 in less than 100 hours. And then I said, okay. We have something here. That's two in a row. We're successful. And of course, at that point in time, everybody saw what we famously call the spike at the end, where you can see this huge, how did this happen sort of thing? Hundreds of thousands of dollars raised in the last few days of a campaign. And that made funded today pretty famous. And so we scaled and capitalized on those success stories. And here we are today, nearly three and a half years later. When you're talking about that first client, let's go ahead and jump to that. What was the name of the company or product? Ruse Sport, R-O-O, like a kangaroo, because it's a kangaroo pouch. Okay, gotcha. So you said you did some research to figure out that you could actually help them out. What type of research were you doing? When I first started, I went on the platform. This is what I encourage everybody to do. So they had what was essentially a wallet and there were wallets on Kickstarter. And I ended up becoming friends with someone who'd raised over $300,000 on the platform. And I had him over to my house and sat him down for two and a half hours and said, what did you do? And he kind of told me everything he had done. And that gave me a lot of ideas. And then I leveraged my decade of experience as an internet consultant and email marketing, affiliate marketing, things like that. And then I brought my co-founder on midway through that campaign to focus on some paid media efforts. And we were very successful. So going back to the research side of things, go on the platform and look for something similar. Find something that seems like it's a successful product and maybe five, six, seven, eight of them. Because nowadays there's probably 5,000 wallets or related things like that that have launched on the platform and figure out what those people did. Get in contact with them. Ask them who they hired. Ask them what they did. Ask them how long it took them to plan. Who made their video? Who designed their page? What elements did they notice? What do they wish they would have changed? And these people are awesome. They're 
creators or entrepreneurs just like you. And chances are a lot of them are going to talk with you, especially if you throw in like a $25 Amazon gift card or something for their time. I'm trying to picture when you figured out the guy who had raised money on the platform before that you're friends with. I mean, I wasn't even friends with him before I went on the platform and I looked him up. I saw that he was actually from Utah. And I said, mm. dang, you're amazing. This is so cool. How did you do this? Tell me all your secrets. And he was very friendly about it. And within a couple of days of networking via email, he was at my house. Yeah. So did you pay for him to come over or how the hell did that work out? Yeah, it's been so long. I can't remember, but I think he was just, I think I, I played the card that we're both from Utah. Right. You, you should help out a fellow Utah or something. <laughs> right. No, that makes sense. And I, I think that's important because I think a lot of people are too scared to Oh, I know. Do yeah, that's the thing. Like that. So many people are scared. I, I have to talk to my wife about this all the time. She's an opera singer and I tell her, go out and talk, go out and network, talk to people. Like she'll sing at the Utah Symphony. She has a, a gig there in an industry as different as that. I'm like, you have some famous people coming every other month who are like internationally renowned. Talk to them. You like have a chance to connect and talk to these people. And in some ways you're on their level. You can get to where they're at if you just network with them. I, I truly believe this and everybody's heard this a hundred times, but it's so true. And I've seen it in my own life. It really is about who you know. Every single step along the way at Funded Today, even as we've grown, it's because we've hired the right people. We've networked with the right people. We've asked the right questions. And by always staying cutting edge and talking and learning and networking, we're never really left in the dark with something new that we forgot about. And that's one of the best ways to adapt and change and pivot as the times change. All you have to do is think of the worst case scenario, right? If you would reach out to a guy and he says no, then that's fine. But I oh, think yeah. it's a I love that. Yeah, important for you to figure out a connection there too. Uh, absolutely. That's what I've told my wife because she's kind of an introvert. What's the worst that can happen? She yells at you and says you're stupid and dumb and why are you wasting my time? I'm famous, you're dumb, I'm not gonna I mean, okay, she didn't know who you were anyway in the first place. Who cares? Like go talk to the next famous opera singer that comes in and you can do the same thing. There's a five thousand wallet projects that have launched. Probably five hundred of them have raised over a hundred grand. Contact those and say, Hey, one of them's gonna respond to you and one of them's gonna give you some tips and maybe fifty will. And you can do the same thing with almost any single thing that's been crowdfunded before. Or you even do anything more than have the idea in your head. That's the research stage. And that's what's so valuable about crowdfunding. Where else can you go and find this many things that have had this much success with that much transparency? When you go on crowdfunding, like that 148 million that I quoted earlier, that can be traced back to all the campaigns we've ever worked with. And you can add it up and it will equal 148 million. That's what's so cool. There's no dishonesty. There's no hiding. There's no craziness. You literally see exactly what they raised. You hear all the backer comments. That's the other thing. Read the backer comments. Hey, I really like this product, but it would have been great if this had it. Now you have your pivot. Now you have the wallet that they wish they would have got. You can learn that from all the successful campaigns. If it only would have had an RFID shield, I would have paid 20 bucks more. Okay, you build the same wallet, you put an RFID shield on it, and you add a couple little things that make it a little bit new and techy, and you have a new idea. So let's talk about your growth over this time. So you had worked on one, and then it seemed like after a second one that you decided that you could go ahead and make a business out of this. Could you talk a little bit more in detail? Like, did you go ahead and start your new company name then? And what was that transition like with your partner? So when I tell it normally on an interview, I tell it pretty, right? But it's less pretty than that. My business partner, Thomas Albert, one day is like, look, I'm making a website. And it was funded.today. I was like, what the crap is this? It was like a little squeeze page on lead pages. I'm like, why are you doing this? We have Agile. That's my company. You can work for me or something. He's like, no, this will be great. This is going to be bigger than you thought. Or I was like, but dude, take that crap down. I don't want to do it like any more of this or anything. And it was kind of funny. Eventually, though, I kind of caught the vision of it. Thomas has always been more Steve Jobs visionary, and I've always been more pessimistic, practical. How can we grow this realistically? And I think the balance has been great. If you're talking about getting a partner, getting somebody involved, I think it's good to get different and less same. And Thomas and I are pretty different in that way. He's more big picture, always pushing, always planning. And I'm more systems, processes. Let's make sure we got all our ducks in a row. And I think that balances it out well. But really, that's how Funded Today was born. Thomas had bought the website and had a page set up. And I said, oh, okay, Funded Today. And I kind of liked it. I, I still do like it. I think it's a really great name. And I like how we're not a .com. We do own fundedtoday.com, but 
funded Dodd today and it, it just kind of stuck and we've been with it ever since. Right. So let's talk about the the next clients. I mean, so how were they finding you via that web page? I mean, were you putting up in the... Once that web page was set up, we had um, some badges on the first campaigns that we did that said Zach Smith ran this project or I think we might have even said funded today at the time and people would go there and they would scroll down to the bottom or word of mouth. There's something to be said about word of mouth advertising. I was just, I barely did a Facebook post about it a couple of days ago even. We had a client, um, Beat Sheets, and was Austin, your name. <laughs> and uh, he said, I love you guys so much. Here's your video testimony. And he sent us a video testimonial over. And he said, I've already told like five or six people about it. That's kind of how it's been. Now imagine having, we've worked with probably 3,000 different projects now, I would, I would And imagine having 500 of those 3,000 basically be evangelists. You get the digital virality that comes because of the age of the internet and every one of them telling five or six people and then hundreds more emailing them and asking them, who did you hire? Oh, we hired these guys. It, it becomes a really big empire of word of mouth advertising. We haven't, I mean, we're starting to do a lot more now in terms of spending and SEO and different things. But for a long time, we didn't even have to worry about that because we had so much business. We didn't know what to do with ourselves. It's always been a case of, wow, we're growing so rapidly. We need to hire more people. It's never been, how do we get more business? Well, let's pretend without we're the, we're the company that comes to you that or we have a product. We have less than 30 days and we need a million dollars. How much would it cost? And can you go through basically your process? So the first thing we'll do is we'll tell you, hey, I know you need a million dollars, but there's no guarantee we can raise you any money. How would we know? What we have is, and let, are we assuming you've already raised some money in your... Yeah. I guess let's say we have 500K. Okay. Well, that's good. So you've pretty much validated your idea. You found a way to raise $500,000. So the first thing I would do is I would say, how did you raise that 500000 And maybe you'd say, oh, it was all natural and organic and people just picked it up. That would be rare. If that's the case, that's really exciting. We're probably going to raise you a ton of money. Mm -hmm. If you said, well, I spent $200,000, then I would say, oh, okay, how much did that generate? And you might say, well, that generated 250000 in pledges. And I'd say, oh, shoot, we have a problem there. Your, <laughs> earning, your earnings per view is pretty terrible. Great. And then I would introduce you to what we call due diligence and product validation. And mm -hmm. that is a period of three to 10 days where we are doing exactly what we've done to the tune of the 148 million to see if we can raise you money. Sometimes it takes three days. Sometimes it takes all 10. Just depends on testing, really. We're trying to achieve statistical significance by targeting specific audiences that have raised us money in the past. So if you had a wallet, we would target different things that we've done for wallets to be successful. If you had a, a smart luggage, we would target different smart luggage related things. And most of it is through paid media, although we do have affiliate marketing, cashback, backer network, cross collaborations, PR and earned media outreach stuff. During the due diligence, most of the time we like to focus on paid media, which is Instagram, Facebook, things like that. We're spending money to see if we can achieve it a positive ROI across normalized data that is statistically significant. That's the scientific term behind it all. And once we have the report on that, we can pretty much tell you, okay, yep, we can get you to a million. Or looks like we can only get you to 200,000 more. Or you know what? This isn't going to be a fit. Sorry, your product simply does not validate. And here are some suggestions for pivoting. Or worse yet, you don't have a good idea and it is missing one of the seven Ps. And the seven Ps are some criteria that we have for how we determine if a product is going to be successful or not and how you can pivot upon an unsuccessful product to turn it successful. And so how much money would it cost to come to you to, you know, I guess do the initial evaluation and let's say if you were successful, because I have no idea how how much yeah. this thing would cost. So we're heavy on the percentage side of things. We like to put our money where our mouth is. So we got done raising money for a product recently. It became one of the most funded kitchen gadgets of all time, raised over 2 million US. And we take a percentage of that and very little up front. So that particular client paid, I think, $5,000 up front and all the rest was paid on the back end. And that percentage ranges from 25 to 35%. 
the amount we charge up front also ranges from 2500 to 5000 And that's dependent upon what we call marketing success criteria. And that's a list of things we look at to see how successful your campaign is. Sometimes we don't charge anything up front. In that example, if your campaign had raised $500,000 and you had spent $50,000 to raise that, chances are you wouldn't have to pay anything up front because your product's already successful and it's already been validated and we can probably scale right from the start. Is that how you were doing it in the beginning? Yep, pretty similar. Uh, granted, we had, we've had to change our model a little bit because now we have 1,500 entries a month to sort through that want to hire us and we only work with about 50 to 100 of them. So we do have some qualifications in place that make it so that we can be a little bit more selective just because of the amount of work and volume we have. Well, can we talk about the expansion between you and your co-partner or partner? Yeah, Thomas Albert. And like talk about your next hire and how you're able to expand from those first two projects. I think learning how to let other people do what you used to do is the hardest thing to do as an entrepreneur, especially if you're self-funded and bootstrapped like we are, as you're immediately giving up profit. Like when I was the only salesperson, we made 100% of the money. Now it's not the case, but at the same time, you can make a lot more money and you can grow your business and you can help a lot more people and you can create a lot more jobs and you can do a lot more good work when you learn to let go. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. It might be painful for a year while you hire more people and you give up profit and revenue potential. But once you get those systems properly in place, letting go is the best thing you can possibly do. Number one, it makes your business sellable. If you're ever looking for an exit, nobody who ever wants to buy a company is going to want to buy a company where the founders are working in it. They just don't like that because they usually like to buy these people buying companies own lots of companies and they don't like to be having to work in a company if, that, if they're going to buy a company. Number two, it allows you to grow. Under today is way different than it was three and a half, four years ago. And that is only because we've been able to not do the same things that we did originally and do more new things. Cashback is brand new. Crowdcon is brand new. Our video and page design is brand new. Our backer network is brand new. All of our backend that we use to track and monitor everything and link up with the APIs and different things with Kickstarter and Indiegogo is brand new. So many things are brand new that we used to never do before that are way different, but way successful and way lucrative that would have never happened if Thomas was still doing the different marketing and if I was still doing the sales. I mean, so was it hard for you to let go? Yeah, it was. Again, it was Thomas who helped us let go. I mean, I had hired a couple people to do some different things, but... Thomas made the first initial hire that was risky in the sense because he had to give up some of our trade secrets and some of our proprietary technology and trust somebody. And by doing that, you run the risk of somebody taking your idea. You run the risk of potentially teaching somebody this industry bringing in more competition or simply not being able to scale or be as successful and then maybe having to go back. I think the one risk everybody has as an entrepreneur that they don't really think through is worst case, it can be you too again. It can be just you again. Like if you're making money, it's easy to want to just take out all the money and be like, oh yeah, I'm making money. I'm going to take draws and dividends. Better is to take all that money and hire more people and, and grow it a little bit. I mean, maybe get back all your costs once you're profitable, get back whatever it costs you to start your company. So if you spent 50 grand or something, take all that out in dividends so you don't lose money should a bad thing happen or maybe take out a little bit of profit. It wasn't all for waste. But I think putting in all your money back into your company is a smart thing to do because worst case, you can go back to exactly how it started eight, nine times out of 10 and be very successful. Just imagine if Funded Today were me and Thomas and two or three other people. I mean, we're 50 something people now. But if it was just with three other people, we could still have a pretty good business just doing way less, of course, only working with two or three projects or something and do well. Again, maybe that's me being conservative and the pessimistic type of person I am, but that's always an option in the back of our heads that a lot of entrepreneurs probably don't think about. And maybe that will help them learn to let go. Hey, what's the worst? That can, again, it's kind of like what you said, Austin, earlier. What's the worst that can happen? Can I? So think about it. What's the worst that can happen? Okay. The company becomes completely dead and it's just two or three people. Okay. Can I live with that? If you can live with that, 
take the risk. If you can't, maybe there's something to think about there. You're talking about maybe worrying about giving up trade secrets. Has that ever happened at a point in time where you had taught somebody yeah. and they went on? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just got done reading the uh, novel Chew Dog by Phil Knight, the CEO and co-founder of uh, Nike. That happened to him kind of late stage, too. One of his key people went over to Adidas and definitely screwed him up a little bit. I've seen the same thing happen with Funded Today, you know, and the way you protect against that is good contracts, good agreements, hire the right people, trust people, give them give them a good job so that they don't think to try to take you down. If you can pay people well and power them and as long as they're working hard, I think you're less likely to have that happen. But I think in any industry, especially where there's a lot of money to be made or profit potential or it's new and there's maybe not a lot of competitors, you're going to see that. Um, fortunately for us, I think we've been pretty lucky. And most of the lawsuits that we've insta instigated or had to litigate against, we've won. And some are still like waiting judgment. So it will be interesting to see how some of that plays out. But I think it's a risk in any business. When I That's what I found. I love to read autobiographies and biographies of people that have done bigger and better things than me. And I saw that with, uh, like I said, with Nike and uh, Google. How to happen to them. There's issues with Amazon. I think Jet started from somebody who was pretty high up at Amazon. Some of your worst stories and some of the success, most successful companies and competitors are not from the big people that you see day to day. From a small competitor who knows exactly what you do and who can take you down. We saw that at Funded today. We've ridden through all those storms so far. When that happens, I mean, did you change something at your company to try to keep that from happening in the future? Yeah, I think it's good to publicize your wins. Let the company know, look, here's what happened. Here's what's going on here. And maybe that creates a little bit of fear. Maybe that creates a little bit of distance. If you can build a unity within the company, I think for a while, Funded Today, we didn't have as much unity. We're a fully distributed company. Everybody's remote, meaning they work anywhere and everywhere in the world. And so sometimes it's hard to get everybody together. We have changed our hiring practices a little bit. So now we're hiring a lot more in Utah specifically. I think we're 60, 70% Utah now, which is pretty good. Before we were a little bit more spread out. And it, there's advantages and disadvantages to both, but we're trying to focus a lot more on unity and getting people together and talking more and getting at least a few face-to-faces every year, I think helps because if you see the people People that you interact with are you're going to be less likely to do something shady or dishonest, in my opinion. And if they can trust you and if they know who you are as a person. And again, there's something to be said about karma. If you're a good person and you do good, company's going to do good. And if you punish properly for people doing bad, I think you start to set a culture of honesty and transparency, which is what we're trying to do at Funded today. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess one of the things was trying to, you know, get more face to face or get some closer. You need that, I think. I think you really need that. Even if your company's like ours, you got to get people together once in a while. We don't even do a good enough job of that. I wish we could do more, but hard. And I think the people that we end up hiring maybe are a little bit more introverted too, because they like this type of lifestyle and they're, they're less likely to want to go out and meet people. And so kind of a double-edged sword in that way. It does well when we do get together. I, I feel like the next few weeks, the company is a little bit more synergistic. So I want to keep doing more of that. And so those first people that might've left the company and gone to another company, were they usually further out? I mean, were they, who, who are these people that you're hiring? We haven't lost that many people in our entire existence. I think we've lost six, seven people is all. And five of those were fired and two left. So only two people have technically left our entire company, which is, I think, pretty good. I feel like, again, I try to keep a tab on and I try to get a feel like we have like happiness scores and things we send out occasionally. We did more of it originally, but now it's maybe every six months or something, we kind of get a feel on where people are at or get a read. And I would say 85% of the company is really, really happy. And the other 15% realize it's a really good job, but they wish there were some things that could change. And I think that's a fairly honest assessment. It's There's always things you need to change. The company has become more bureaucratic. It's become a little bit harder to put things through and get things changed, even though I own the dang thing. That's just the nature of getting bigger. If you don't like bureaucracy, don't get big, I guess is, is the example, because you have to 
have some systems and rules in place when you get bigger. Otherwise, you just have chaos. So there's a trade-off. So are you, are you and Thomas the 50-50 partners? Yep, that's right. And so I guess it's been funded through just even the very first deal. You just keep rolling it back into the company? That's right. We bootstrapped and self-funded the entire thing. I had a pretty successful business before. Thomas's story is more like a rags-to-riches American hero type story in the sense that he worked really hard for a really long time. I was already pretty successful in several other businesses. This one just became the most successful. Are you not working in your other ones now and is solely unfunded today? No, those ones actually still function too. I I believe in trying to run businesses that are systematic. And so Funded Today is the most successful by far, I would say. But I have three other businesses that are pretty successful too by any standard. Well, I think that's really important. I mean, you keep hearing systems from you and could you tell us about a little bit about that, how you got into systems and, you know, give us, give us some examples of your first changes in business to systemize things. Rule number one, don't be lazy. Rule number two, if you are lazy, go work for somebody else. You can't do what I've done if you're like the type of person that has to take direction from somebody. Rule number three, do everything on your own until you've done it enough times that you know pretty much 90% of what's going to go right and what's going to go wrong. Document Rule number four, document all of your processes as you go. I have a spreadsheet. Every time I do something that I've never done before, I write it down. And then if I do it more and more and more, I look at it, I'm like, oh, I've done that five times now. That's interesting. And there's still like a hundred things I probably am the only one that does. So we're constantly learning to let go and document those processes and systems and figure out who's the right person to do that going forward. You need to document all your systems. You need to document all your processes. And you need to do it enough yourself so that you can figure out how to do it. Now, here's the coolest thing. When you do that and you step back, you have somebody else do it and you come check back three months later, then six months later, then nine months later, then a year later, and then two years later, then three years later, and then four years later, you'll find that the people you had to do it, do it better than you. And they found 20 ways to do it based upon what you taught them that make more sense or are more clear or cleaner, more efficient and better. That's what's great because they have more time to focus on those things because that's their specific job. So they find ways to do it better than you did because you were juggling 40 different things. But it's important for you to do it all because then you know what you actually created. Otherwise, you're creating a business that you don't understand. If you create a business you don't understand, you're kind of violating Warren Buffett number one rule of investing, which is understand everything that you invest in. And I take that to mean I better understand what my business does as well, at least to a pretty strong level. What systems or like software do you use? Do you use anything in particular that's really helped you? You said you're like, I guess you're writing it down at first, but when you're documenting these systems. Yeah. If I could only pick three things, I'd pick Google Drive, Skype, and I'd pick a calendaring system. I use a uh, Google Keep all my notes and different things that I have to take action on. It's kind of a new software. It's really slim down, really clean and simple. You can change colors and you can invite somebody to it. And it's pretty much like a notepad, but it syncs across the cloud. Gotcha. Those three things can run our entire business. Email, Gmail, set of apps and things like that. And so on there, when you're making these notes, I mean, how, how are you organizing and systemizing them for your workers? Every single position at Funded Today has a job description. And the job description create, has a high level, like here's what we envision you doing. And it's broad and it's preachy. I don't know the right word you'd say there, but it kind of says, here's what we would love you to do in an ideal world. And there's also like 20 or 30 bulleted point items that kind of say, here's what you do. And that's more higher law, law of Moses, law of Moses you know, like take 20 steps on the Sabbath sort of thing. And then higher law, here's what we would love for you to do. But if you don't want to do the higher law, here's 20 things you absolutely need to do. And every job has characteristics like that. What systems do you recommend for someone who's getting started? Let's say they're that one person company like you were at first. I guess you did have a partner, but let's just say they're by themselves and want to hire that first virtual assistant. And they're like, then you start realizing, hey, I'm doing something over and over and over. Um, maybe it's time for me to start systemizing things. What would you recommend they do? Well, that's good that you said that this person's already recognizing it. So as soon as they're recognizing they're doing that thing over and over again, or they're having an issue with the same sort of thing, that's good. They've already documented it. So now they need to simply 
write a job description for it. Here's what happens. Here's what I do. Here's how I solve it. Now I need somebody to do it. And here's what I'll pay. And then see if someone will take that price. Someone takes that price. Great. You found your hire. If someone doesn't, you need to maybe pay more for that particular spot. And it's as simple as that. And sometimes taking it a little bit further, try to figure out at the very first at Fun of the Day, we had a lot of people doing a lot of interesting things. When I look back on it, we had people doing paid media, but then they were doing cross collaborations too. And it was a lot of chaos. Now it's a lot more clean, I think, the division. We could even do better at maybe segmenting and separating out all the different divisions that funded today. And we're, we're continually refining that, but figure out what particular things are happening and then create a job out of that. So that was one thing you thought of. What are 20 more things that you do? And once you have 20 things, that's probably a job. And then you can create a job for that. Batch them into similar characteristics and qualities for what that particular job position would entail. Right. And doing that, I think sometimes people are doing stuff over and over and they're realizing it and it's not really adding to revenue. Would you say, is there something that you should focus on at first if that person? Yeah, there's something pretty cool about Funded Today that's, I think, different than any other company in the entire world. And I know that sounds a little bit... uh, hyperbolic, but I think it's the truth. Every single person at Funded Today, with the exception of maybe two or three positions that are hybrid, are in some way adding or increasing revenue. And the positions that aren't, there's a component to them that are. And we've tried to do that even at the secretarial type levels where something somewhere they do pays whatever they would get in terms of a salary for the other positions. And there's probably downsides to it. Maybe we'd be better to pay fixed amounts and everything, but I like the idea that people who work hard can make more. We found that at every single level. In fact, I was just talking to somebody who I have a call with later on today about that same thing. She's one of the only people who has no revenue component. And literally a couple days ago, she said, I'd like some revenue component. This is kind of coming mundane and boring. And I see everybody else so active and so engaged and always pushing, always working. And I think I could maybe do something like that. I think I've come up with an idea even for her so that she could have a revenue component that would actually add revenue to funded today's bottom line. You should try to think like that. Maybe it's revolutionary. Maybe it's not. For me, I feel like what we're doing at funded today is pretty cool in terms of how we incentivize and motivate people. I think that's why we don't have that many people leaving our company. That's, that's our strategy. Try to add a revenue component to every single thing you do. And if you don't have a business like that, maybe you're in the wrong business. I mean, can we take that as a perfect example of the way you're thinking about it? Let's say what that person does and how you're thinking of revenue. Yeah, I think so. I think you should try to always think that way. Could you give us a, like for that position as an example? Yeah, so here's what I'm thinking of doing. This person does some secretary related things and we have accounts receivable and some of those accounts receivable get old. Some of them get more than 60 days old and sometimes we have to sue or send to collections. We don't really have a good process for all of that. And sometimes we just write it off as bad debt. Now we're going to incentivize that person to collect upon that bad debt which is income that we write off anyway. And so if they can collect upon that, it would add to fund at today's bottom line that we're writing off as bad debt anyway. And they could get paid on a percentage of all the money they end up collecting on that we would otherwise simply write off. As an example of, is there a certain percentage that you're thinking? 1%, 10%? Oh, it's hard to know. I think it just depends on what your margins need to be and where you want to, how you want to do things. In our business, we'll talk with them and we'll see what motivates them. I like to pay people what motivates them. And we probably pay our people too much, but maybe we pay them too little. I don't know. I mean, I, I like that way of thinking. I mean, but I, I guess the only thing is that having to come back to them if you think that, hey, you know, it maybe I give them too much percentage. Have you ever had to do that where you're trying? Yeah, some. I, I was talking to I was talking to uh, Brandon. He works for my company right now, and we were talking about this earlier. Sometimes Thomas and I will sometimes think, oh, maybe we paid that person too much. At the same time, that person is so good and so active, and sometimes they're on at two in the morning. And it's like. What other person in the world working for any other company would be doing that, you know? Right. So we, we think it's worth it. Yeah. We just try to like change our brain and 
thought process like that's okay that's okay that they get paid that much they're probably worth it and look at how active and engaged they are and look at the positivity that they bring to everybody else in the company mm. people like that just one person can change 10 you know could you give us another example of somewhere in the company where you started thinking hey you know maybe those people aren't usually paid like a percentage of revenue for whatever they're bringing in because I, I think this is an important point yeah i think so everybody would normally pay like a digital media associate a salary of 40 50 000 bucks a year instead we pay them on a percentage that tracks back to all of their efforts so if they're really good at it they make more money. If they're really bad at it, they make less. What does that position do? That position um, does paid media funded today. But as far as paid media, I mean, could you tell us in more detail? So let's just talk about, let's say they're running ads on Instagram. Mm -hmm. They'll run an ad on Instagram and that ad will generate $20,000. They'd get a percentage of that $20,000 instead of $5,000 a month salary. And they're doing that for, we generally have our paid media people working on seven to, eight, seven to 10 campaigns at one time. So they can be really successful. We've had paid media people make 20000 a month in our company. That would be unheard of at any other company in the world. And so when you're coming up with these calculations, um, I guess this is because you've got that accounting background. Are you the one coming up with them? Or do you have someone else helping you figure these things out? Yeah. I mean, Thomas, Thomas and I are pretty collaborative in everything we do. It's kind of funny. Sometimes I do more legal work. Thomas is an attorney and he does more accounting and numbers. And then we look at it and think about it. It's weird how that's worked out. I think we both have a business mindset. So that is the one thing that we share in common. Mm -hmm. uh, we're always trying to think about what motivates and inspires. I mean, we're talk we've are talked a lot about money. I think one thing that we've tried to do recently at Funded Today is we motivate so much with money. We're trying to motivate in other ways. So with it, everything we do in at Funded Today is generally through Skype. So a lot of people use Slack. We use Skype and we have tons of different groups and different things for different divisions. We have a company-wide group and we try to do, we, we've created different hashtags and different things. So anytime something good happens at Funded Today, somebody will do like hashtag why I love my job mm. and they'll post a screenshot of it or something. And it's like, for example, that client yesterday or two days ago said, I love Funded Today. I've already referred five or six people to you guys and you're amazing. I can't wait to get started. And I just paid my invoice or something. Like, it's crazy when you see that kind of stuff. And when you post it to the whole company, now 50 plus people see that and they're like, oh, well, that's awesome. And you can give shout outs to the people that were involved, you know, like good job, Colton, good job, Brandon, Skyler, well done on the process. So we're trying to motivate in that way too, where there's some praise that comes because money isn't the best way to motivate people. It, it, mot it makes people stay because you can't find a job better than Funded Today anywhere in the world, but it doesn't make people love their job. What makes people love their job is when they can find a higher purpose and a motive. And we're always trying to search for those higher purposes and motives that are going to make people be happy with the pay, but also happy with the things that they're creating and doing and the lives they're changing and the interactive camaraderie they might have with the people that they work with. And that's the hard part. And I think that's what is the difference between a good company and a great company, a company that lasts. What's your higher purpose and what motivates you? That's a good question. I, I had to <laughs> Sometimes, ask. I had to ask. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I was just, just yeah. trying to make it too hard. It's a good question. Uh, Originally, it was it, it, the reason it's a great question is because I've had to shift my mindset. Right. Maybe Thomas's vision is still bigger than mine, but I feel like Funded Today became bigger than I ever dreamed it would be. Total honesty. Like, granted, we know it's getting bigger, we know it's changing, and bigger and better things are happening now, and I'm on board with that. But when we first started, even Thomas, though, to his credit, I remember him saying, Man, imagine if we were working with 10 campaigns and they were each raising $5,000 a day. How crazy would that be? And I was like, oh, yeah, that would be crazy. Like, and now that happens, that isn't happening. Something's wrong sort of thing, you know? Mm. So our both our mindsets have had to change. But I think, well, we have a bigger purpose. We have, we created uh, core values. So there are nine things that Funded Today believes in. And I think that kind of helps center us. But then we also created like a big picture vision. And I can maybe share a link to that later on. But essentially, I could even see if I have it here, maybe I can read it to you. We spent some time writing some of this stuff down. That's to kind of clear up what we thought. If I can find it, I'd love to 
to read it, but let me see if I can or not. If not, you can send us a link and we'll put it in the show notes okay. for everybody. This is part of our core values and everything. Second to open for some reason. It's called our core values and culture guide. But at the top is our purpose. And this is what Thomas and I kind of drafted together. Fund today's core mission is to help entrepreneurs, creators, and business owners get off the ground and generate more revenue for their ventures. By 2024, we hope to have generated over a billion dollars for our clients while internally supporting an infrastructure that creates great new and existing long-term jobs at Funded Today and great new jobs for all those we help. Additionally, we plan to create and empower 1,000 independent business owners or millionaires by the year 2024. Our marketing, creative, and consulting services will continue to expand and evolve, and we will keep educating ourselves to remain cutting edge so we can continue to raise millions for our clients. We are entrepreneurs ourselves. We value self-learning. We believe in failing fast and pivoting quickly. We envision our entire workforce as successful, thriving entrepreneurs flourishing businesses inside and outside of Funded Today. That's kind of where we're at. In terms of me personally, um, if we want to like take this outside of business, yeah, I believe in trying to be happy. So find what creates happiness. Whatever you can do, be happy. Whatever motivates you. And and I, I heard this recently. I think it was from Gary Vaynerchuk or somebody had on a show. But I believe this too. Happiness is not a destination. So you, you drive to Orlando, oh, I'm happy now. Or I'm in Disney World. Or I'm in Cancun. I'm in Mexico. I'm traveling. Those things aren't really happiness. Happiness is kind of the 15 to 20 things that make up who you are. So I'm Zach Smith. I own a really successful company. I am athletic. I like to play the piano. I am a loving husband. And you kind of create a little bubble map of all these different things that you are. And then you rate each one of those things. So loving husband, where am I at on that scale? Maybe I'm a six right now. Successful business. Maybe that's like a nine right now. And then you see holistically, not not balance, because balance is kind of like binary. You know, it's either, oh, I'm in balance or I'm out of balance. This is more a holistic type approach where there is no such thing as balance really in life. It's more what makes you who you are? How do you rate each one of those things about who you are right now? And generally, those things are all like a seven or eight or higher. You're going to be happy. And if you notice that 50% or more of them are a five or lower, you're probably unhappy. I think that's kind of the key to life. I think that's important as well. I mean, was there a point that you realized that you may might have gotten too imbalanced? Oh, yeah. I was a 10 on business and a zero on everything else. Right. <laughs> Can you tell us about that? Yeah, because I think that's what a lot of entrepreneurs do in those first couple of years because you just you don't think about those other things till they start going, right? There's something to be said about only being 30 years old and having the success that I've had. Like, I'm really lucky and I don't think a lot of people are ever going to be in that position. And that's okay. Like, I was able to immediately recognize those things and change and my life's in a really good place right now. But three years ago, three and a half years ago, maybe I was in a terrible place. I went through a divorce. I got a lot. I gained like 15, 20 pounds, which I, I'm still not necessarily. I wasn't fat by any means, but I didn't look good. Right. You know, <laughs> I didn't feel healthy. I had all kinds of like weird injuries and stuff. I stopped playing sports. I loved to play soccer and basketball. And I basically didn't play for like a year and a half. Like I quit all the things that made me who I was and I was doing business. I was pretty freaking happy because Funda Today was extremely successful, but that happiness died real quick once it didn't get exciting to make money anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, the secret. Now, maybe it was worth it. Maybe what I did was worth it for the couple, two, three, four years of sacrifice to then be like, okay, now I'm here. Now I can focus on all these other things because I have time and money and perspective. So I can't fault people for doing the same thing that I did to get to where I got, but maybe I could have done it better. And that's something I guess I'll always have to wonder. Right. Now I'm remarried. I have a pretty good relationship with the ex. You know, th like things like that are different and I can't change them. I perhaps regret some of the things that happened, but I learned some really good things. Now, maybe somebody can listen to this story that I'm telling though, and they can not do what I did bad and do what I did good and have an even better life and even better success story. I think that's the hope. Yeah. 
No, and we appreciate you sharing that because I know it's not easy. A lot of people don't talk about the personal side. And, you know, even though the podcast is called Millionaire Interviews, it's not all about money, really. It's about growing. And, you know, I think the happiness part, really, that you talked about is really important because I I think a lot of entrepreneurs go through that struggle because you're trying to make money and you're not, you're, like you said, totally focused on growing the business and then kind of forget about there's other things in life. It's crazy. My life hasn't changed that much. I mean, it's changed in the sense that I don't worry about money. I used to, I mean, I don't come from money. Mm-hmm. My dad's a school teacher. My mom really never worked a day in her life. And they had six kids. <laughs> I graduated from Weber State University, which is a good university, but nobody's ever heard of it unless you watch NBA basketball. Then you've maybe heard of Damian Lillard and he went to that school. But aside from that, there hasn't been anybody really extremely famous or internationally renowned that, you know, it's not a Stanford or Harvard by any means. So like my story is one that people can emulate and replicate. They work hard, they connect to the right people. And if they do the right things. Yeah, I appreciate the last word. I mean, is it is there anything else that you'd want to leave the entrepreneurs who are listening with? And what's the best way for them to maybe connect with you on social media or saying thank you? Yeah, the, the best way you can connect with me is Skype, of course. If you want to add me directly, my Skype handle ID is start doing business, start doing business, all one word, all overcase. My email is Zach at funded.today, F-U-N-D-E-D dot O-D-A-Y, Z-A-C-H, back at funded.today. One thing I'd probably tell everybody is don't be committed to whatever you originally thought was a good idea. I started out doing landscaping and then I became involved in foreign currency exchange, which was really successful. And then I started a consulting practice, which was pretty successful. And now here I am with Funded Today. That's 90% of what I'm doing. And most of my other businesses are, and even here's a new pivot. Now I'm doing real estate. I'm doing I'm doing loans and different things for people who don't like to put the 20% down or pay for the PMI and things like that. And that's been a really lucrative business that happened really quickly because of the money I'm making in all my other businesses. I'm able to put that in post-tax at capital gains rates. So and I don't even know what the next thing's going to be. Maybe in three years from now, I'm doing something even different and I'm still doing all these other things. So always be attentive and alert for what that next big idea is and never be committed on something that you might be in love with. We tell that to every one of our creators. I've got the best idea ever. Oh my goodness. This is going to raise a million dollars. I know what is in. I want to hire you guys and it's going to be it. And we're like, I get excited. Don't get me wrong. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've never had a job for anybody my entire life. I get that mindset, but take that passion and enthusiasm for your first idea. And if your first idea fails, don't be pissed off, learn from it and start the next idea or maybe pivot the first idea just a little bit like I did. Consulting is what we do at Funded today, but now it's related to crowdfunding instead of e-commerce. It's just a small little pivot that was extremely successful. I could have been dumb and not done anything after the Rue Sport and kept doing what I did. And I almost did it. But fortunately, I had a business partner that guided me and helped shift me a little bit. And here we are today, funded today. So don't be committed to whatever you think is successful. Wait, test it, fell fast, pivot quickly. And I think you'll have a lot better chance of ultimately finding what you were meant to do in life. Great. Well, like I said, well, thank you for coming on and uh, sharing your story with us, Zach. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a great time. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. for listening to the podcast after each episode i ask our guests a few additional questions such as what's your favorite tool or program that makes your business more efficient what business book have you learned the most from and what's the biggest challenge still holding your company back if you want the answers to these questions and other ones as well then head over to our website millionaire-interviews.com you'll find the answers and much much more at the bottom of each podcast episode thanks again for tuning in now go ahead and enjoy another one of our episodes. You've earned it. Oh,